Now clear your mind and knows what scares you. It has from the very beginning. Don't give it any help, it knows too much already. It's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? What an excellent day for an exorcism. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Horror Crypt Podcast, episode number 141. And this week's is not actually a movie review. I've never, ever done something like this before. And this will probably be the only time I'll ever do it. But it, it made me, I don't know, it's really hard to explain what I'm trying to exp- say right now. It affected me enough that I actually wanted to do this episode. Now, I know some of you have already read the synopsis as far as what I'm doing this week. Um, Anyone that's triggered about um, murder and stuff like that, I mean, we as a horror community, you know, we watch these movies of blood, guts, gore and horror, and that's all well and good, but real life is far more terrifying than any horror movie we could come up with. And in saying that, this is the very first time that I've ever done a true crime uh, podcast. Now, as I said, I'm not going down this path of doing true crime. I'm not doing that at all. But this affected me enough that I wanted to do this episode because I find this story to be so incredibly upsetting and devastating. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about a murderer by the name of Chris Watts. Now, I've been very apprehensive about really starting this podcast because I don't want to, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm reading things through Wikipedia and stuff like that, and, and movies and things that I've watched with regards to this this case, and, you know, the case has been settled, done, dusted, and everything else, and I guess for me, it's sort of like, it's it's not, I don't, I don't know these people, I don't know the victims, I don't know the killer, so I'm only saying, I'm only telling the story from a third-hand, fourth-hand, fifth-hand point of view. What I am trying to do is just, I, I, I feel very passionate about this scenario because this was so unnecessary. This never needed to happen. It should never have happened. And obviously, as we go along, I will talk more about it. But there's no trailer this week. There's no, there's no, nothing like that. This is true crime. So if this is very triggering for people, please turn this podcast off and I'll see you next week of the Horror Crypt Podcast. Um, but if you are interested in this story, if you've heard about this story, um, you know, please stick with me. As I said, I'm not going down the true crime rabbit hole. I'm just saying that this is something that I am very passionate about because this should never have happened to these beautiful people. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not making light of any murders that's ever happened throughout the world, but this one, I think, stunned the world to such a degree that there's been so many things written and movies done and documentaries done about it that I still find myself to this day still going to watch the documentary and still shaking my head because I just don't understand it. You know, how this person can obliterate his entire family. Now, the the, re, the how I got the, the facts of this podcast, is I've, it was basically three that I've, I've followed. So I followed um, a Netflix movie or, or documentary by the name of American Murder, The Family Next Door, my other reference that I've done is obviously through YouTube, and the third one is a document, or not a documentary, it's like a docudrama, 
on um, Disney Plus. It's called Chris Watts Confessions of a Killer. Now, as I said, it's a very, very confronting thing to watch these these um, documentaries, to watch the the you know the the things on YouTube. What I find really confronting, and I'm sure the police to this day are just they just cannot fathom it whatsoever, is that when you see the initial contact between Chris Watts and the police, you know, he'd only just murdered his family not that long ago, and there he is standing in front of this police officer trying to explain to him, you know, where he was and when Shannon got back. The, the victims of this case, let's actually start with that. The victims of this case, yes, let's go, let's go with that one, because they, they certainly deserve their voice to be heard because, um, you know, they, this is all about them. So the, um, first victim was Shanann. She was 34. We also have two children, Bella, four and Cece or Celeste, three and an unborn child because Shanann was 15 weeks pregnant by the name of Nico. That was the, the name that they actually had, um, had given the, the unborn child at this stage. Now, um, you know, when Shanann and the children were buried um, and laid to rest, I should say, um, it was the fact that they had laid them to rest with the name Resnick, not Watts, because obviously you want to disassociate yourself as far as you possibly can away from that evil person's name. And to this day, you know, he still maintains that he is not this monster, but um, you know, wiping out your entire family. How do you justify yourself as not being this monster? I it just it just it's just unfatherable that I that, you know that you can actually say that. Um, and there certainly are other things that I can talk about later on in this podcast with regards to, you know, the last part. And there's going to be a number, a quite a number of audio grabs throughout this podcast. So, you know, there'll certainly be times that you'll be able to listen directly to things that are going on. So. The way it starts off is uh, in the early hours of August 13th, 2018, in Frederick, Colorado, a, uh, an, a person by the name of Chris Lee Watts murdered his, his pregnant wife, Shanann, by strangulation and their two children, Bella and Cece, by smothering them. He buried Shanann in a shallow grave near an oil storage facility. And this is what I cannot understand at all. Nobody will ever understand this. And even the bullshit that he was trying to convey to the investigators that, you know, he, this is, you'll hear about it. It, it, it starts to boil my blood. Um, so he dumps, he, he, he buries Shanann in a shallow grave near the oil facility and dumps his children's bodies into crude oil tanks, not both into the oil tank. There's two oil tanks side by side. He puts one child in one and one child in the other. I mean, you've just obliterated your entire family. And Watts initially maintained his innocence in his family's disappearance, but was arrested on August the 15th. And I'm I'm not going to go very much further into this little bit on Wikipedia, because it's just, there are certainly some um, other things that I really want to read out to you. But the way it starts off is that, you know, uh, Shanann gets home from a, uh, a business trip she actually took um, uh, into... I can't remember where it was that she went to. Anyway, she went to a business trip and she was dropped home by her friend, um, Nicole Atkinson. And she, at that stage then, after being dropped home, we see her on a door a door cam or on a doorbell or a ring cam as she enters the, the house. And then, of course, 
you know, you we don't know exactly what got what goes on. So she had actually, Shanann actually had a um, an appointment at, at the doctor's that she had to go to, and she never showed up. There was phone calls being sent to her mobile phone. There was text. I mean, she was very very prevalent on um, social media. She was always going on to um, Facebook and doing things because she was actually at a, was in a marketing company, so she was always expected to do you know a couple of posts a day and keep people up to date and stuff like that. So she was doing that. She was also doing a lot of videos with regards to her children and just her, her family life and things like that. So suddenly, Shanann drops off the face of the planet. You know, there's no phone calls being picked up by her. You know, she's not posting stuff to social media at this time. And we understand that she just got home. You know, she got back home, you know, at 2 a.m. So she really is exhausted from, you know, flying. She left um, the place that she actually originally left at 11 p.m., got home at like 2 a.m. So she was really exhausted. So you think you'd see yourself, you're not going to really be jumping online but you know if you've got a, a medical appointment at 9 a.m and nicole was going to go there to pick her up you know to take her to the medical appointment she you know the phone calls are being you know sent through to her phone and she's not picking up now you know because she's 15 weeks pregnant because she's had medical issues at the time you think to yourself that maybe you know she might have been passed out whatever so Nicole Atkinson is the very first person that alerts the police and actually rings just to tell them that she is very concerned about her friend. My name's Nicole and I'm calling because I'm concerned about a friend of mine. I dropped her off at her house at 2 in the morning last night and I haven't been able to get a hold of her this morning and I've gone to her house and her car is there but she won't answer the door, she won't answer phone calls, she won't answer text messages. They have two little girls, three and four. I mean, there's no movement in the house whatsoever. What's her name? Shanann Wong. Alrighty, we will have an officer come out that way as soon as we can. I would just advise you, you know, to not try to make entry into the house or anything like that. How you guys doing? Hi. You're Nicole? Yes. Okay. What's going on? So, my friends, um, we were out of town for a business trip this weekend. All right. And I dropped her off at 2 o'clock this morning. She was very distraught over the weekend, wasn't eating normally or drinking, and we kept trying to force it on her. Shannon, are you home? And she had a doctor's appointment this morning at 9, and she didn't go to the doctor's appointment. Okay. No answer on the phone. Husband's on his way. Yes. You can't house unless you see signs of... Yep. I, I've got to have more unless I get consent from him to go in. Um, Could be grandparents came and picked them up. You know, it could be a lot of things. She left her phone, her phone's dead. How you doing? You seen your neighbors today? No? Okay. Oh, we're just trying to get a hold of her. Felt like she wasn't feeling too good. They're just concerned. Now, by all accounts, you know, and we, we never know exactly what happens behind closed doors. People can sit there and say, oh, they're the perfect family and this and that. But you never really know what goes on behind closed doors. But you've, you've got to start to think to yourself that, you know, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with the family next door. You know, they, they seem great. They've got, you know, a, a great relationship as far as you can see. Um, so, you know, why would you even start to think there could be anything really disastrously wrong next door? Now... As we know, you know, people do meet. So Christopher Lee Watts, um, you know, they were from, both him and um, Shanann were from North Carolina. Christopher was from uh, Spring Lake and Shanann was from Aberdeen. They met in 2010 
and were married in uh, McKinleyburg County on November the 3rd, 2012. So, you know, it, it seems, you know, and, and Shanann was really, she was trying to explain to people how it all began and exactly, she had actually had some some uh, medical issues that she was really trying to keep away from Chris, trying to make sure that he just didn't go anywhere near her because you don't want to be a burden to someone. But, you know, she, by all accounts, really, she'd had a very bad relationship. She'd actually had a, a, a bad marriage to begin with um, previous to Chris. So, you know, you know, you put your, your defenses up and you say, I don't want anybody. And believe me, I've been there and I've done it. I had a very bad relationship. Um, I was in an abusive marriage. I was the abused, not the abuser. Um, it's very strange for me to say that because I'm sure there is a lot of people listening to this that would sit there and say, well, a lot of the time it's always the man that's the abuser. Um, and how could you be abused by a woman? Well, it's very easy. You can be. Um, and I'm not going to go down the path of the ins and outs of my relationship. But all I can say is that I was for the longest time physically and mentally abused. And you do become very accustomed to being that abused person. You think it's always you, it's not them. They would never hurt me. And, you know, when I, I would get abused or whatever, it would always be a present afterwards or I'm sorry, I'll never do that again sort of scenario. So it always came down to that that sort of thing. So for as far as Shanann, was go, as Shanann goes, you know, she was in an abusive, bad relationship. She got out of it. She didn't want to have anything to do with any sort of relationship whatsoever. And as we hear in this next bit of um, audio, Shanann explains exactly what happened when she met Chris and just how she really looked towards Chris as being the, the shining light, the, 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 the knight in white armor, you know, riding on his white horse towards her. And I, I just want you guys to know a little bit of my story. I was in a place for a long time where I felt very insecure. I was married went through a really awful divorce and that relationship really took a lot from me it took my confidence it took everything it literally took everything but i'm not a quitter and my goal was to buy a house my family doesn't come from money we always worked hard for what we had and so i worked and worked and worked and worked and i was 25 years old when i built my first house and that was the biggest accomplishment I felt I've ever done because I did it by myself. I did it by working my tail off. <laughs> ten, 10 years ago, I went from being super energetic, super happy. I started losing a lot of my hair. I felt like I had the flu all the time. I felt miserable. And then I was diagnosed with lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. I went through one of the darkest times of my life, and then I met Chris. And I couldn't have asked God for a better man. I wasn't looking for a boyfriend, and all of a sudden, I get a friend request. I said, what the heck? I'll never meet him. He's just a Facebook friend. I have a million of them. But the thing about Facebook is you eventually hardly meet the person. When I met Chris, I pushed him away. I gave him an out every single day. He went to my colonoscopy. I tortured him. I rejected him, but he stuck around. And he stuck around because he was the one for me. I couldn't ask for a better man for her. He makes her smile and she makes him smile. God bless you both. 
I just want to say I love you both. You look great together. She's been looking her whole life for a good guy. I couldn't ask for a better one. I love you guys. We live in Colorado, and he's the best thing that has ever happened to me. So they meet, and like everyone would say, you know, they became the perfect couple. You know, the family was so excited and so thrilled that, you know, she'd met this wonderful guy uh, by the name of Chris. You know, he seemed to be really in tune with her. She's tried to push him away so many times, you know, don't come near me, don't go to my colonoscopy and stuff like that. But he stuck around. And as she said, you know, she he was a, he's just such a really great guy. And you can hear it in her voice. She is she just thinks that the world of Chris, you know, and there they and, you know, they, they meet and, you know, fall in love they get married their family's excited about it and then of course as we all do you know life t takes a sudden turn and we then they end up by having two daughters so the first one was uh, Bella Marie she was born on the uh, December the 17th 2013 and then we had Celeste Catherine which is they usually could would call her Cece and she was born on July 17th 2015 so you know it's 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 all coming together it's all wonderful and you know and and i don't know whether it was the third one was planned or not i mean you know as they say you know life happens when you're busy making other plans but you know you can certainly see that in this next little clip you know because shenan was so very prevalent on on Facebook and on social media she wanted to basically document everything you know there was there was things that she would do with documenting the kids being in their their you know football jerseys and they were all going to do the, the the team cheer for their their team that they loved you know that you'd see you know Chris interacting with his daughters you know in the living room and you know just playing with them and, and being with them and, and even you know when um, I think when Cece was born you know Bella was you know, at her bed, at her mum, you know, bedside, you know, seeing the new baby and they were videotaping that. So their entire life was very much um, in the, in social media. And I think that was the way that Shanann always wanted it. She always wanted to show people that there is a definite uh, light at the end of the tunnel when you've had a bad relationship, when you've had a bad divorce and, you know, with all the health issues that she's had, this is the, the, the silver lining on, uh, you know, in the clouds that you can actually have this wonderful life. So she decides that at this stage, when she, find, <laughs> she finds out she's pregnant, that she's going to videotape this momentous occasion with her next child that she's actually pregnant with. And she actually wears this t-shirt and it says, oops, we did it again. And she's got the video camera set up or the phone set up. And this is Chris's reaction as he walks in. I'll talk to you a little bit about that after we listen to this little bit of uh, sound grab. <laughs> I like that shirt. Really? Really. That's awesome. So pink means... That's just a test. I know. It just says the pink is going to be girls. I don't know. Just a test. That's awesome. Guess, uh, guess, guess when you want to, it happens. Guess what, 
It's in mommy's belly, you silly. She's in my belly. Boy, boy, Chris wants a boy. I hope it's a boy for him. It'll make him happy. We go for our first ultrasound at three-ish, 3.15. And I'm kind of nervous because every time you go, you're like, is there one? Is there two? Is there three? Hey, Bella, how many babies do I have in my belly? Whoa. Whoa, 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 That's a lot of babies. I can't tell you guys how much I am blessed. So picture this, you know, your partner comes to you or your husband, sorry, your husband, try that again. Your wife comes to you and says to you that, you know, guess what, you know, we're pregnant. You know, your first reaction should be one of joy and just excitement and, oh my God, this is amazing, this is fantastic, I'm so excited. Um, I mean, even though Shanann says, you know, that, you know, it'll make Chris happy if he has a boy, regardless whether you have a boy or a girl, you're going to be happy regardless. But I'm, I'm glad that she thought to herself that, you know, she's got Bella and she's got Cece, you know, having a boy would just be absolutely wonderful because Chris could part a lot of, you know, knowledge onto his son and do things with his son and that sort of thing. You know, just the way that, you know, uh, Chris's you know father was with Chris. But when you see that part of the, the, um, the documentary where Chris walks in and he's got that, you know, oh, we did it again. And, and, you know, he's looking at the test. And when he does say, you know, oh, well, you know, if it, when you really want it, it happens. He looks at the test and he basically does the wow face. But you don't see happiness. What you see from Chris is fuck. It's not one of those exciting parts of his existence. Now, whether you are ready for this or not, I don't know. Nobody is ever going to be ready. No one ever sits there and goes, okay, so between this year and this year, we're finally financially set, we can have a baby, or the next two years, we're financially set, we can have a baby, no worries. Um, it just happens when it happens. So when you see that part and Chris immediately does that wow face, there's part of me that was watching that going, you're not happy at all, mate. You are very, very upset about this. Um, and you, you know, you're just not making it you know, visible, you know, I mean, you know, you can, he was really faking it. I think what he really would never wanted to hear was that, that she was pregnant with another child because that would add obviously more financial pressure onto them. And they were actually having financial pressure. So, I mean, I mean, the, the, the family lived in a five bedroom home at 2825 Saratoga Trail in Frederick, Colorado. That house has since been sold to another couple. And when they bought the house, they actually said that they actually wanted to try and bring love and happiness into the house that had so much um, misery and, you know, um, this huge tragedy in the house. So you can go and see the house. I don't recommend making it a tourist attraction like the Amityville house. Um, but if you are in Frederick, Colorado, that is where it is. It's a 2825 Saratoga Trail. Now, they purchased that house in 2013. Now, unfortunately, in which I didn't know about, and you know, I, I, it was never really meant, you know, made apparent to anybody that we know or that you know in the documentaries but the family actually declared bankruptcy in 2015 and now chris was employed uh by andarco petroleum while shenan worked from home selling a product called thrive from a multi-level marketing company named lavelle and so you know they they weren't doing you know badly financially but i think a lot of the financial pressures were getting to them because you know she was having to do their bit with the multi-level marketing 
I guess you've always got to sell, sell, sell. You've got to get the next sale, get the next sale. I've done, I haven't done multi-level, multi-level marketing, but I was at one time when I left school, you know, one of those people that would basically knock on your front door to try and get you to buy something. And if you think it's an easy job, it is not. It is very, very hard to do that. And it's just, you know, day after day, going to people's houses, knocking on the door, no thanks, and go to the next one. So it was very, very hard to do. So I really understand you know, that she would have to keep selling and keep, you know, trying to bring in more money. He's doing his bit. He's working at the petroleum company. He's trying to keep more money going. So I guess the the added stress of having a third child, you know, you can sort of see where he's got that, oh man, another kid. But we find out the reason why he's sort of like got that, hmm, another kid is because he was having some fun on the side. But we will certainly get to that. So as we hear, you know, she does, you know, She's, she's gone missing and the police have come, they've done their initial investigation and we still see that there's still a lot of, you know, interest around what's going on. These people have gone missing. What are we going to do? So we've now getting the um, news reporters and the news, the news reporters want to come to the house and speak to Chris. So they're going to interview him and try and find out where was the last time you saw them, what's happening, you know, and because the, the entire area was very much consumed about the fact that not just one person's gone missing. You've got a mother and two children. Plus, you've also got the mother that's pregnant and she's suddenly gone missing and we don't know where she is. I mean, he has gone down, you know, the rabbit hole of when, you know, he gets into the house, when the police are there and Nicole Atkinson has already, you know, arrived there and with the police. You know, he goes upstairs and Chris is going around looking for stuff and he actually brings out her wedding ring, which is on the side um, you know, nightstand of their bed. And make sure that the police are aware that, oh, look, I found her, her wedding ring on the side of the nightstand. And, of course, you know, where Nicole would, uh, where, sorry, where Shanann would always go, Shanann would actually have her cell phone. So, you know, you see that when they get into the house and they go upstairs, they're looking in the bedrooms. You know, Chris is looking in the bedrooms. We find out this is all, eventually we find out this is all bullshit about he was just trying to make it look more plausible and more convincing about what, you know, to try and almost throw them off the scent. But, you know, he says, oh, there's her phone. Oh, it was turned off. And, you know, and Nicole had actually bought her, her I think, her son with her. And, you know, her son says, oh, well, when you turn that phone on, it's going to blow up with all the messages and phone calls. And then he goes in the bedroom and he finds the ring. And then he also goes into the girls' bedrooms and he says, oh, their blankies are gone. They don't ever go anywhere without their blankets sort of situation. So, you know, and it, we also see that they also go next door because the next, the next door neighbor's got a security camera that runs 24-7 recording it. And, of course, Chris doesn't isn't very interested in seeing what's going on on the screen. He's almost like he's standing way to the side with his hands on his head because you can almost see that he's very, very nervous. Does does the camera pick up what I'm doing? We'll find out exactly what he did down the track. But uh, even when the police are about to leave, the next-door neighbour says to says to the uh, police officer, he's not right. There's something not right about him. He he never He's never fidgety. He never talks that much. He never sways backwards and forwards. He, there's something really strange. So the very first person that caught on that there was something wrong, other than Nicole, was the next-door neighbour. I'm sure to this day... The next door neighbor sits there and goes, I fucking knew it. I already had that feeling. But in this next um, clip we're going to hear, we're hearing that the um, news reporters are now coming to Chris and they want to interview him about the, the situation, about what's going on in his life and with regards to Shanann and the two children. So you want to give me your first and last name? Uh, Chris Watts. W-A-T-T-S. 
Do you think she just took off? Do you think? I, I mean, right now, I don't even want to just like throw anything out there. Like, I hope that she's somewhere safe right now and with the kids. But I mean, could she just taken off? I don't know. But if somebody has her and they're not safe, like I want them back now. Yeah, this might be a tough question, but it, did you guys get into an argument before she left? It wasn't. It wasn't like an argument. We had an emotional conversation, but I'll leave it at that. But it's. I just want them back. Well, police really don't have a lot of information right now. We do know that this neighborhood where Shanann Watts and her two little girls live is the last place that anyone saw the three missing people. So the police had door knocked the area, had canvassed the area. They were stopping cars going into, you know, certain parts of Colorado because they just needed to get all the information out to the public. We don't know where Shanann is. We don't know where the children are. They were they were dredging, you know, waterways to try and see if there was any bodies there. They and as you could hear, you know, the you know Chris is being interviewed. There was a lot of media hype around what was going on, and of course it would be because suddenly, you know, three people have disappeared off the face of the planet. The police had actually rung Chris at one stage and said, "We need your you know, identification as far as you know Shanann and Bella and Cece, any scars, tattoos, whatever. You know how high, how tall they are. You know hair." color eye color that sort of scenario and and we all f also find out as we know that Shanann was actually 15 weeks pregnant as well and he did tell the police officer that that you know Shanann was 15 weeks pregnant so the whole thing was going you know going on the media very much of attention and then of course we also have the police and they brought a sniffer dog in to obviously you know go through the house to see if there was any unfamiliar smells and even one of the police officers actually said um, that this house is way too clean. There's something not right about that, you know, that it was almost immaculate. But if you look at the way the house was um, and Shanann's upkeep of the house, that's not un uncommon. Shanann was a very, very tidy woman. Um, it was a very, very clean house. Even though she had you know little children running around, she was still very, very clean and tidy. And they also had a little dog. Um, and I can't remember what the name of the little dog was, but, um, you know, even that little dog, you wouldn't even know there was a dog there because it was such a, a the house was just immaculate, you know, it was very, very, um, clean. But of course, while the searchers were, you know, going through the house, they discovered Shanann's purse, obviously containing her car keys and the children's medicine. Now, Shanann being the kind of person that she would be, um, and the loving parent that she would be, if she's going somewhere with the children, there is no way in hell that she would never take the medication with her. I mean, just say your child needs an EpiPen. Would you leave the EpiPen at home? You know, I mean, if you accidentally leave the EpiPen at home, then you would be hyper-focused on to make sure that the children don't go near certain things. And I know that um, Cece actually had a lot of allergies to certain foods. So, you know, Shanann was very, very on top of that to make sure that, uh, that Cece... Um, was kept away from certain foods. And there was an argument that actually had gone on when Shanann had gone down to see her, her parents and had also called in to see um, Chris's parents that Chris's mother accidentally gave um, Cece some ice cream that actually had nuts in it. And obviously there was a nut allergy or some some allergy that, that uh, Cece had. And there was a big argument that happened with regards to that. So, but, you know, when you when you go into a house, you're trying to find, you know, any unfamiliar sense and you find a purse that's got children's medication in, you know, the mother isn't just going to take, I mean, the car keys, the car is in the garage. The, ca the children's car seats are in the car. Where is she gone? Even if she was picked up by a friend and Chris had said, well, I've exhausted all, all 
all avenues. I don't know who she could have gone with. It could have been an, another friend, whatever. Well, okay, if you are going with your children in a car, um, nine times out of ten, because they're so young and being in America, you can't have the children riding with you in the front seat. And at a certain age, you have to be in a car seat, and CC would have to be in a car seat. You take one of the car seats out, one or both, and put it in the back of your friend's car, and that. But you would, you still wouldn't leave the house without your keys, or your purse, or certainly your children's medication. So come on, something starts to get a little bit, you know, funny there. And of course, her phone was later located between the couch cushions in the family home. That's sort of like that's there's a discrepancy there because when you see. The documentary, Chris finds it on the banister of the stairs as you walk upstairs. But this is saying that you should, they actually found it between the couch cushions. So there is just some discrepancies, discrepancy there. So we won't go too far with that one. And of course, her, star, her car was still in the garage um, containing the girl's car seat. And then as I said to you, Chris goes into the bedroom and suddenly comes out with Shanann's wedding ring. So it's like, oh, okay, here we go. So the FBI and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation the CBI, actually joined the investigation the next day and Watts initially told police that he had no idea where his family might be and they had not seen his wife since 5.15am the previous day when he left for work. And obviously he gave interviews to the Denver stations KMH, KMGH-TV and KUSA-TV outside his house, pleading for the return of his wife and daughters. And of course, as I said, the investigators did go in with the police dogs to try and find out if there was any, you know, a strange sense that were in there. Maybe someone had come into the house, had abducted the children and, and that sort of thing. So they're, they're really, they've really got no, they're, they're trying to find any avenue they can. There's no way in hell they're not going to try and go all out to try and find these people. So at one stage, the police says to, to Chris, listen. You know, here's the thing. We've got to rule you out as a suspect. So would you be willing to come down to the station and give us a statement? And he does, because you would. You know, if you're trying to get away with this, why wouldn't you? So he voluntarily goes down to the police station and has a talk with the with the police officer and or the detective. And we're, you know, they're talking backwards and forwards. Nothing really untoward goes on. And then out of the clear blue sky, the officer, the detective actually says... Would you be willing to take a polygraph test? Now, a polygraph test, as we all know, measures if you are true, truthy, truthfully telling the truth or not. Now, a lot of people have said that it's really inadmissible. Um, it's not guaranteed 100%, you know, all the time. There's been a lot of conjecture about polygraph tests, which whether it's, you know, true or not, whether it can actually really identify whether you're lying or whether you're not. But in this regard, we're going to go down with the fact that the polygraph test is 100% accurate. So let's go with that. 100% accurate. It's it's gonna it's gonna work. So the detective says to him, says to Chris, how about you take a polygraph test? We just want to rule you out. 100% we want to rule you out for the possibility that you had anything to do with the disappearance of your children and your wife. And Chris readily agrees. I mean, 
being a woman, I mean, she's like, is there somebody else? I'm like, no, there's nobody else. I mean, this is, this is me talking to you about this. Isn't it like somebody came into my life and took me from you? This is, you know, me talking to you. Um, okay, so I want you to have confidence in the fact that you had nothing to do with this disappearance. Like, we're going to find that out today. And obviously, I mean, I hope that, you know, if you did have something to do with their disappearance, um, it would be really stupid for you to come in and take a polygraph today. Exactly. Right? Like, it would be really dumb. Like, you should not be here right now sitting in this chair if you had anything to do with Shanann and the little girl's disappearance. Okay? Now, I guess... You know, in all honesty, there is certainly a, um, what I would consider to be an air of arrogance with certain people. You know, I'm not a crime reporter by any stretch of the imagination. This is the very first and possibly only true crime that I'll, I'll ever do um, on this podcast or any podcast. But I felt strongly enough to, to do this because of the fact of just how these beautiful people died and how these beautiful children died it was it was it was never needed it never needed to happen you know i we've all gone through very bad points of our life and and to have this happen to these beautiful these beautiful people it's just it's just unheard of you know and i just don't understand it at all but i think there is certainly an air of arrogance when it comes to chris that he's got this this air of himself to say well you know you think that i'm going to um falter on this um you know this polygraph. There's no chance in hell. I'll be able to. I'll be able to win you over. And as I said, the polygraph, it's not guaranteed 100% accurate. A lot of people have, as I said, have said that it's not 100% accurate. But as for for sake of saying it, we're going to say, you know, that it is. This is 100% accurate. It is going to tell you the truth. Now, for Chris to be sitting there, you know, and the 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 person, the the polygraph administrator, is sitting there going, you you know, if you really if you've done something to these people you are dumb as in you are dumb to be sitting here in front of me to take this test because we are going to find this out and you think at this stage you know you would probably sit there and say to yourself oh fuck i maybe have gone down the wrong path of being this arrogant but still to this this at this moment chris is still this arrogant person to sit there and say yeah okay well i can still do this polygraph test i've got nothing to hide well he does and we find out he will have something to hide but when you look at his arrogance of this and to sit there and say, well, yeah, okay, well, you're warning me that I shouldn't be sitting in this spot, but I'm still going to be sitting here because I've could, I've done nothing wrong. Well, you know, that is arrogance on the highest, you know, the highest rung of the ladder. But once again, you know, killers do believe that they've got this, you know, amazing ability to try and bluff and, and get their way, th see this way through. Now, you know, anyone that, that, you know, even think to yourself right now, okay? So let's say that, you know, something happens to your wife and, you know, and this could be your husband or your wife. I'm not just saying that men are going to kill, women kill as well, but let's put it in the context of both men and women, okay? So let's make it that way. So something happens to your partner. Guess who the first person that they're going to be looking at, as in the police are going to be looking at? They're going to be looking at you. They're not going to be looking at, you know, Mary Smith down the road or Joe Blow down the road. The first person that they're going to try and rule out or rule in as a suspect is going to be you. So you are the person that's going to have to go through this whole scenario. Did you have anything to do with it? So, you know... Chris is not going to be sitting there saying, okay, well, they're going to they're going to look at Nicole or they're going to look at somebody else. They're going to look directly at Chris. Chris, you were the last person that, that, they, that saw Shannon and the children alive. 
you know, she got home at 2 a.m. You had the children all weekend. So exactly what happened? You know, she came home. When she walked in that front door, when we saw her vision, when we saw the vision of her, I should say, coming into the house on the door, the, the ring doorbell camera, you know, Nicole was in the car. She was watching to make sure that, that Shanann got into the house safely and then she drove away. So the only other person that saw Shanann alive was Nicole and Nicole watched her walk into the house. Once that door closed, Chris was the last person that saw her alive. So what happened, Chris, between the time that she got home at 2 a.m. to the time that you got up for work and had a talk with her at 5.15. Now, she's, you know, we can't find her. She's got, you know, her, her keys are still there. Her purse is still there. The medication is still there. The car's still there with the two car seats in, in, in the car. So what happened? So now we find this is starting to build up around Chris. Something's happened. We need some some answers. Now, one thing I really think is really, really heartwarming, um, or it's not heartwarming, breaks your heart basically when you look at it is that um bella actually did a little video about her father and shanann really wanted to capture this moment and it was bella singing a song to her father of just how much that she loved and adored her, her dad my daddy is a hero he holds me grow up strong Now, we don't know, and even at Chris's trial, there was no indication of whether he'd actually ever seen that video of, um, of Bella singing to her, her father. But it's clear that, you know, she really loved her dad and really looked upon him as her hero. And I think that it is so genuinely um, upsetting and just heartbreaking to think that there is a little girl who loves her father that much. And just to think exactly what he did to her and to abuse her trust the way that he did. But, you know, it's it's really amazing that, uh, you know, she she thought so much of her, her father and that he would do to her what he did. But as I said, we don't know. Um, and I, and I, I know that the lawyers and the reporters don't know whether he ever saw that video of Bella singing the song to her dad. But, you know, if he did, uh, let's, let's hope that maybe it'll haunt him for the rest of his life I'm sure that uh, or the rest of his miserable life because he's currently well we'll find out exactly how uh, much justice he got from what he did to the children but anyway so as we continue on we see that you know he's done the polygraph test you know arrogance as he is sitting there believing that he's going to get away with this not a problem there's nothing I've got that you can you can possibly do I'm going to pass this with flying colors well as we know, you, you have to come back for your test results and he comes back and the investigator and the detective wants to have a bit of a discussion about the test results of uh, his polygraph test. So I brought Bernie here because we want to talk about the results, okay? Sure. So um, it is completely clear that you were not honest during the testing and I think you already know that. Um, you did not pass the polygraph test. Okay. Okay. So now we need to talk about what actually happened. I feel like you're probably ready to do that. Uh, I didn't. I didn't lie to you on that polygraph. I promise, Chris. I, I'm. I'm. I'm Stop. Stop. I'm. Stop for a minute. Take a deep breath. I. I want you to take a deep breath right now. There's a reason you feel sick to your stomach. 
most people hold stuff inside, it makes you physically ill. And I can just tell on your face, I could tell you tell from the second you walked in that you were wanting to just come clean and just be done with this. And I appreciate that because you knew sitting down in that chair that you weren't going to pass today and you knew I was going to find out because I told you that. And then you continued to stay knowing that you could at the end say, you know what? I just need to get this off my chest. Like I just need to tell you what happened. We're not, we're not here to play games. We're not here to do any of that with you. We just want to know what happened. So can you start from the beginning and tell us what happened? Everything that I've, to, I've told you, I did not lie on this polygraph. I am, I don't know how much I could, I could tell you right now. Like, I did not. It's, it's, not even, it's not even an option right now because uh -huh. you did not pass the polygraph. Uh -huh. So I know you were being deceptive. So that's not even an issue, an issue right now. The issue right now is what happened to Shanann, Bella, and Celeste. That's the issue right now. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about that. So still he's maintaining the fact that he did absolutely nothing wrong and he doesn't know where the children are, he doesn't know where Shanann is. Now, he actually asks at one stage that his father, because his father had flown in to be by his side to try and offer moral support to him, which you would understand any parent would, that whether he could speak to his father. So they, they allow him, his father, to come into the, to the room into the interrogation room and the conversation starts off where Chris is, you know, just having a conversation with his father saying that they think I, I had something to do with it, you know, and his father says, well, did you? And he originally says, no, I had nothing to do with it. Then he changes his story. His story changes to this, that he woke up and he found that Shanann, she went in, he went into Cece or Bella's room and found that Shanann had smothered her children. And in, in a fit of rage and anger, Chris then goes and turns on Shanann, strangles her to death. And, of course, when he says to his father that he found, you know, that Shanann had actually killed the children and he had then killed her. Okay, right? Completely plausible if that's, if that's you know, exactly what happened. But with what we find out about what Chris does... It doesn't make any sense because if you go into your children's room and you find that your partner has killed your children, now first of all, you know even if you do go and strangle the your partner or husband or wife to death, you know you would be calling nine one one or your local emergency services to get paramedics out. You'd start CPR, whatever, and you know you could easily say it would be justifiable homicide. Um, with your partner because, you know, you were acting in defending your children and whatever. I don't know. I'm not a legal person. I've got no idea really what I'm talking about, but I'm just trying to say that there are certainly aspects of this that you'd have to start scratching your head and trying to ex understand, well, then with what you did, how could you say that it, you were not part of the whole scenario? No. So he goes and he says to his father that he found out that the children was were blue, that the children had been killed and that he killed Shanann. And you know, as as his father said, so you're saying to me that she killed the children, you killed her in defense. And he goes, yes. So when the police officers come back into the interrogation room, he says, he maintains this story that he killed his uh, wife, Shanann, because he had found that the, the children had been killed by Shanann. And even the interrogator says, okay, so let's let's hypothetically say this is true. Do you want the public, do you want the world to know that this is what happened and he says yes and they said really so you want to tell us exactly that this is what happened that you are going to you're very comfortable 
in knowing and in in the world knowing that you killed Shanann after you found that Shanann had killed your children. And he says, yes. Now, if you see videos, and I have gone through many um, aspects of Facebook to try and see videos of Shanann when she was alive with Bella and Cece, uh, you know, there is just nothing that I can see. Um, but of course, you know, I'm not a not an investigative reporter and stuff like that. I'm only seeing it out the outside from from the from the windows point of view. I'm looking into the house now. I didn't see anything with regards to her being aggressive or angry with the children. So, you know, and Chris was not that way either. You didn't see anything with regards to him being you know, angry or you know about that that scenario. We do find out the reason that this whole thing started is because Chris started to have an affair with a woman at work by the name of Nicole Kessinger. Now, Nicole Kessinger has gone to ground. She is now living uh, with a, another identity. She's living in witness protection because she doesn't want to be identified. But we, just be, it was ruled out that, sh that she had absolutely nothing to do with the disappearance or the murder of Shanann and the children. So she's been discounted out as far as a suspect. But we do find out that she's been given a brand new identity and a brand new name, location. She's in witness protection. She'll never be found. And I think that's probably a good thing because I know a lot of people right now would still target her as the main reason that this whole thing went down. But what what Chris Watts essentially wanted to do is he wanted another life. He wanted wanted a life with Nicole Kissinger. And the only way to get rid of that, the you know, to get to that life would be to get rid of the old life. Now, as far as I'm concerned, there is a, there is such a thing in the civilized world as divorce. If you don't want to be with somebody, even if you've got children, divorce them. You will get to see your children. I know that because I am the product of divorce. My parents were divorced and I have been divorced, but I still get to see my son. I get still get to talk to him, see him grow up, everything else. You know, my son is now 22, but when it happened, you know, my son was younger, but I still got a chance to see him. The court still does, you know, allocate you permission to see your children. Now, I know in the so-called conversation that Shanann and Chris were having and the argument, Shanann did say that she'll never, he'll never see his children again. Well, that's not possible at all you know unless you're a drug addict or you know someone of ill repute you will actually still get to see your children but once again we're only going by what chris says because we were not in the bedroom watching this argument all unfold but with what chris said she maintains the fact that she was saying to him that she was never going to allow him to see his children and so he does maintain the fact that she had gone in, strangled her children or smothered her children and then ended up by Chris, you know, goes to, you know, rescue the children, sees this whole thing going on and strangles Shanann. However, after an amount of probing and probing and probing of Chris, we find out that the story was completely different. The story was that he actually killed Shanann and killed the children took the children's bodies and put them into two separate oil tanks and buried Shanann, who was pregnant, 15 weeks pregnant, with his son, the unborn Nico, into a shallow grave. And it's at this stage that the police then ask him, OK, it's now time to show us exactly where the children and Shanann are. We have a picture of, is it survey 319? That looks familiar to you. What is that? It's the BRC survey 319. Okay. Where about Shanann and the girls? How old is this picture? 
After the probing of the police, as I said, it was found out that Chris had actually strangled his wife to death in their bedroom and had moved her body down the stairs, wrapped in a sheet, and then put the body of Shanann onto the floorboards of his pickup truck. He then loaded the two children, who were still alive at this time, into their into his car and drove them out to the site where they were actually were killed. He took um, Cece out of the car first and he smothered her and then he took Bella out after Bella actually said to him, um, is what happened to Cece going to happen to me? At that stage, when he was smothering her, when he went to smother her, the last thing that Bella actually said was, Daddy, no. And he then smothered her and then decided to dig a shallow grave for Shanann and put Shanann and his unborn child into a shallow grave and then proceeded to put the two children separately into 20-foot oil tanks and closed the hatch, got back down, got into his truck and that was it. Went on about his day. Now, with him proclaiming the fact that she, he had not had anything to do with the Okay, so let's let's put it the end of the perspective because this really boils me because he's such a fucking piece of shit and a scumbag. And after this podcast, I will never ever listen, hear, or think about the word Chris Watts ever again. May he rest in absolute, the filthiest piece of hell ever on the face of eternity. But let's put it into perspective. He's there saying that he found that Shanann had killed the children. He killed Shanann, and that was that. Okay, so. Let's understand that, Chris. You found that your children have been killed by their, their mother. You kill their mother. Then why would you have to dig a shallow grave away from the house to bury your, your wife in? And why would you dispose of your children in separate oil tanks? If they were killed 
in the house and you killed your wife in the house, you would then ring 911. You would be arrested, obviously, for, for killing these 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 you know, this woman, but you would leave them exactly where they are. If you had nothing to do with the death of the children, but you only had the the death of the wife, then why would you find it necessary to dispose of the bodies? Now, I'm telling you, any person with any sense of intelligence would think to themselves, oh yeah, why would you? Why would you dispose of these this, these people when all you did was kill your wife? So, don't sit there and try and blow sunshine up our ass, Chris, to, to explain to us, to say, oh, you had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I'm sorry. If you didn't have anything to do with it and you just killed Shanann, the bodies of your children would be left in their beds. You would, you would have strangled your wife in wherever you strangled her. You would call the police. The police would come. The detectives would come and you would have the coroner there. There would be dignity with their, with their um, the end of their life. But you go and dump the children's bodies into 20-foot oil tanks. And I'll tell you a little bit about the outcome of that scenario afterwards. So obviously, Chris ends up by breaking down and does say, as you heard, that he actually showed them exactly where the bodies were. He was still maintaining at this stage that, hey, I had nothing to do with it, not me. And as the investigator said, Okay, Chris, so you're still happy that the, the, the public and the world are going to know that Shanann did this. Yep, absolutely, really. But we're getting, we're very close to the truth, Chris, but we really don't know. We, we just need to get there. But finally, after everything, he does break and we find out that Chris was the actual killer of his entire family. He wiped out his entire family. So now we go move on to the trial and we move on to the last part of the trial, which is um, the closing arguments and obviously the sentencing. Evidence tells us this. The defendant coldly and deliberately ended four lives. Not in a fit of rage, not by way of accident, but in a calculated and sickening manner. Shanann was 34 years old. She had married the defendant in November of 2012. Over the weekend leading up to August 13th, she had been at a work conference in Phoenix, Arizona, and res uh, returned home in the early morning hours of August 13th. We know that she got home about 1.45 in the morning. The doorbell camera on their home shows her arriving back home uh, from the airport. Shortly thereafter, at least according to the defendant, they had a, what he referred to as an emotional conversation about the state of their marriage and about what their lives would look like going forward. What was said during that emotional conversation, only he knows. What we do know is that shortly after that, the defendant strangled her to death with his own hands. We know that he slowly took her life the morning of August 13th. We know that this was not done in an uncontrolled, vengeful manner that he tried to describe to agents from CBI and the FBI. If that were the case, you would expect to see vicious, horrible bruising about her neck, shoulders, and face. You would expect to see the hyoid bone in her neck broken. You would expect to see some kind of defensive wounds on his body as she struggled and fought for her own life. None of those are present. The only injuries that were on Shanann's body were one set of finger uh, or bruising, what appeared to be fingernail or finger mark bruising to the right side of her neck. We know that our experts will tell us that it takes two to four minutes to strangle someone to death manually with their own hands. 
The horror that she felt as the man that she loved wrapped his hands around her throat and choked the life out of her must have been unimaginable. Even worse, what must Bella, age four, and Celeste, age three, must have experienced or thought as their father, the one man on this planet who was supposed to nurture and protect them, was snuffing out their lives. They both died from smothering. Let me say that again. The man seated to my right smothered his daughters. Why? Imagine the horror in Bella's mind as her father took her last, last breaths away. Your Honor, understand very clearly, Bella fought back for her life. The frenulum, the connective tissue between her upper lip and her gum had an inch and a half, excuse me, a centimeter and a half laceration. She bit her tongue multiple times before she died. She fought back for her life as her father smothered her. Celeste had no such injuries. In fact, she had no external injuries at all. But according to the medical examiner, she was smothered nonetheless. The defendant then methodically and calmly loaded their bodies into his work truck, not in a hasty, hasty or disorganized way. He was seen from the neighbor's doorbell camera, backing his truck into the driveway, going back and forth into the house and back out to the truck three different times, one time for each of their bodies. He then drove them away from their family home one final time, intent on hiding any evidence of the crimes that he had just committed. In one final sign of callousness for his wife, his daughters, and their unborn son, and their remains, he drove them to a location that he thought no one would ever find them, to one of the oil tank batteries with which he was so familiar. He knew this was safe. He had texted a coworker the night before saying, I'll head out to that site. I'll take care of it. He had carefully ensured that he would be alone in the middle of the plains to secrete away the remains of his family in a place that he hoped they would never be found. In one final measure of disrespect for the family he once had, he ensured that they would not be together even in death, or he, so he thought. He disposed of them in different locations. He buried Shanann and Nico in a shallow grave away from the oil tanks. Bella and Celeste were thrown away in the oil tanks at this facility. Different tanks so these little girls wouldn't be together in death. Imagine this, Your Honor. This defendant took those little girls and put them through a hatch at the top of an oil tank eight inches in diameter. Bella had scratches on her left buttocks from being shoved through this hole. A tuft of blonde hair was found on the edge of one of these hatches. The defendant told investigators that Bella's tank seemed emptier than CeCe's because of the sound that the splashes made. These were his daughters. Significantly, when his co-workers arrived at the tank battery later that morning, to a person, they all described him as acting completely normally. It was a normal work day. 
even while his daughter sank in the oil and water not far away from him. And then his efforts at deception truly began. We've all seen the emotionless interviews that the defendant gives to the local media asking for help in locating his family. We watched as he claimed that the house was empty without them and that he hoped that they were somewhere safe and that he just wanted them to come home. He told investigators that they were at home sleeping when he left for work that morning and that Shanann had told him that he was, she was taking the girls to a friend's house for the day. What is striking about this case, Your Honor, beyond the horrors that I've already described to you, is the number of collateral victims that he created by his actions. While he stood in front of TV cameras asking for the safe return of his family, scores of law enforcement officers, neighbors, friends and family scoured the area. I certainly believe that the prosecutor has very succinctly spoken about exactly what had gone on and just how much that he had destroyed so many people's lives. But he goes on to say a little bit more. He contacted a realtor to start discussing the selling of his house and he texted with his girlfriend about their future. None of this answers the questions of why, however. If he was this happy and wanted a new start, get a divorce. You don't annihilate your family and throw them away like garbage. Why did Nico, Celeste, Bella, and Shanann have to lose their lives in order for him to get what he wanted? Now, after all this testimony, I guess comes the fun part of the trial. And if there is such a thing as a fun part of the trial, it's the outcome. What exactly is he looking at down the barrel of this? I mean, he has got just, he is in a world of shit right now. And now it comes the time where the victims have their final say. We're going to sentence Chris and find out exactly what the judge has to say with regards to these crimes and what he's looking at for the rest of his life. So here comes Chris's sentence. That come to mind when I hear the evidence in this case are a senseless crime and the viciousness of the crime. And equally aggravating in this court's determination is the despicable act of disposing of the bodies in the manner in which they were done in this case. I've been a judicial officer now for starting my 17th year and I um, could objectively say that this is perhaps the most uh, inhumane and vicious crime that I have handled out of the thousands of cases that I have seen and nothing less than a maximum sentence um, would be appropriate and anything less than the maximum sentence would depreciate the seriousness of this offense. So the court is going to sentence Mr. Watts as follows. With regard to count number one, murder in the first degree as it relates to Shanann Watts, the court is going to sentence you, sir, to uh, a life sentence in the Colorado Department of Corrections followed um, excuse me, with no possibility of parole. And that is going to run consecutively 
to all but counts three and four. With regard to count two, as it relates to murder in the first degree, with Bella, the court is going to sentence you to life in the Colorado Department of Corrections with no possibility of parole. With regard to count number three, the court is going to sentence you as it relates to Celeste to life in the Colorado Department of Corrections with no possibility of parole. With regard to counts four and five relating to Bella and Celeste as a different theory of first degree murder, the court is gonna sentence you to life in the Colorado Department of Corrections and legally those sentences must run concurrently as a different theory of first degree murder. Recognizing um, the unlawful termination of pregnancy for the unborn child that has been named Nico, the court absolutely believes that the maximum sentence of 48 years would be appropriate to run consecutive to the other charges with an additional mandatory parole period of three years as set forth by statute. With regard to count number seven, as it relates to tampering with a deceased body, as well as counts eight and nine, each a class three felony, the court is going to impose a maximum sentence of 12 years each for those counts to run consecutively to the other counts. The court is going to order that statutory fees be paid and court costs. The court's gonna grant the prosecution 91 days to file a notice of restitution. And that will be the sentence of the court. To say that the court got it right is an understatement. They completely and utterly got it right when it comes to the sentencing of this piece of shit. Um, one thing that is always strikes me, and it was actually really striking even with um, the prosecutors, is, you know, there's always that, that thing of like, well, you know, Chris had said a number of things in the interviews about the way that he found, you know, Shanann had actually gone and killed Bella and Cece, and then he strangled his wife to death. Now, you know, a couple of times he had said that when he was doing it, you know, she was basically just laying there and she was very, um, <laughs> she didn't seem to be attacking him or trying to struggle whatsoever. So the last part of this podcast, I've got two little sound grabs from a docudrama called Chris Watts Confessions of a Killer. It's currently on Disney Plus and the interviewers, after it's all said and done and he's been sentenced and, and they go to actually visit him in prison. Now, the person that goes to visit him in prison is the um, polygraph administrator and the lead detective. And they go in to speak to Chris and they just want some clarification as, you know, come on, Chris, you know, it's been a while. Can you just tell us the final chapter of this story? I don't think he's ever going to understand, he's never going to understand that concept, but just tell us the final chapter. There's that last little bit that we just need to wrap it up in a nice clean bow. But before we get to that that um, sound grab, 
I will say that all the years that he has got, you know, four life sentences, 48 years, plus all the consecutive 12 years, you know, he's never ever going to see the light of day. Unfortunately, there are some real scumbag people out there. And unfortunately, they are women pen pals who are writing to him and believing that he is completely and utterly innocent. Even if he goes for a retrial, which he never would get, because if he goes for a retrial, he's got to, he has to fight you know, three lots of 12 years, one one lot of 48 years plus four life sentences. He's never going to get to see the light of day ever again. And this is the one of the most upsetting things about it is that you look at what he had. You know, even if he got divorced, he could still drive his truck, go to work and earn money, walk on the beach, go to the movies when he wanted, go to his go to bed when he wants, buy a new house if he wants, have a new relationship if he wants. He could have all that. He could have his freedom. But now... He has got a little cell, which he's not. He has artificial sunlight. He can't walk on the grass. He can't walk. I mean, maybe he can walk outside on the grass. Who knows? But he can't go to the beach and feel the the smell the sea air and feel water. You know, the sea water on himself. He can't go to bed when he wants. He can't get up when he wants. He can't have the life that he was envisaging or envisioning. Whatever it is, I'm just frustrated. Sorry, but you know, this is the whole thing that he has just. With this callous and disgusting crime that he did, um, this is what he's been reduced to. So now, the last part of the, the, the podcast, little sound grabs that I've got, is from the Chris Watts Confessions of a Killer on Disney+. And this is the first instance when the detective and the investigator go to Chris to actually ask him, can you just wrap up the bow and just, just wrap it all up? Just tell us exactly the last bit. You mentioned that CC was first. Did you... Uh... Did you use a blanket and cover her face, or? There's a blanket in my hand. Where was Bella? She is in the truck. She didn't know what was going on. She's just sitting there right next to us. So after Cece was gone, you? I took her and I, uh... Put her in a tank. And I went back to the truck. And Bella asked me. Is the same thing that happened to Cece gonna happen to me? I told her yes. It's like a horrible person. I just. Get over her head, and I did the same thing to her. She kept saying, Daddy, no, Daddy, no, those are the last words she said. I keep hearing her say that every day.
I just can't. No, you can't. How do you proclaim the fact that you love somebody? And, I mean, at least he goes on and he admits what he did as far as Bella and Cece. He actually says that he had smothered them and, you know, had put them in the oil tanks himself. So, exactly how do you go from, you know, I love those girls, I would have done anything for them, but I can't do that now. You know, how do you justify what you did as a form of love? You know, I just, that is something I cannot understand. But there is still one lingering question that the detectives um, and everyone involved in this case still have. And even to this day, I have the same question too. Well, we got the truth. Something's still eating at you. What is it? No defensive wounds. Shanann didn't struggle. She didn't fight him. The entire time, she thought he was going to let go. Right up till the very end. Exactly. Where was the defensive wounds? Why was Shanann not able to fight back? Why was it that she wasn't struggling and fighting? And, and, you know, if you're being attacked by anybody, what was your, what would be your first instincts? Scratch them, punch them, do whatever you possibly can, kick them, knee them, whatever you could possibly do to get away from them. But why was it that there was no defensive wounds on Chris? Because he actually had photographs taken by the, by the police, you know, as far as any defensive wounds. He had nothing, not one little thing, which I believe... And maybe, as I said, I'm not a detective. I've got no idea and no basis of my comments whatsoever. I'm just saying this as just my own personal belief. I believe that Shanann was killed when she was laying on her stomach and he was laying on top of her, making sure that she was pinned to the bed and he was strangling her from behind. That's the only thing that I can possibly think of that there was be no defensive wounds is that she was not facing him directly. She Now, in the documentary, Chris Watts' Confessions of a Killer, you see him strangling her and she is facing him. And, you know, the, the documentary itself is very, very good. The docudrama, I should say, is very, very good. I, I recommend you watching it if this podcast has given you um, interest to go and watch it. But you see him strangling her and she's looking at him. Now, he always said that when he was strangling her, she never fought back. It was almost like she was praying. But, you know, even with her thinking that he might let go, there may get a point, past a point of that you believe that he's not going to let go. And that's when you start to struggle. That's when you start to fight back. So why was there no defensive wounds on her? I believe it's because of that fact that he was strangling her from behind. He saw that she was laying on her stomach. He got on her back, pinned her down to the bed, and was strangling, strangling her from behind. And that way, he had full control on her and, her and being able to snuff out her life. That's my opinion. I'm going to go with that. But I could be completely and utterly wrong, and I probably am. But what, as I said, this is what I'm... My thoughts about this. Now, I was reading an article published the 29th of August, 2023, and it says that Chris Watts descri described killing wife and kids in sick letter letters from prison. Um, <clears throat> and I find it very interesting how they've uh, this is actually written. Watts, who initially appeared on TV begging the public to share information about his wife and children who were believed to be missing before he confessed, agreed to plead 
plead yeah they, this is what interesting okay i meant to say this now he originally had the death sentence hanging over his head it was only shanann's mother that said i have no rights to take his life it's not in my power i'm i'm not going to do that so we as a family are taking the death sentence off the table as soon as the death sentence was taken off the table chris decided that he would plead guilty to all for all charges because he knew that he wasn't get put to death. What a scumbag, really. That's the only way that it can that can happen. So anyway, there's this author by the name of Sherilyn Cattle, and she spoke to Chris Watts at length while he resides at the Dodge Correctional Institution in Wisconsin in the US. He actually had to be moved from Colorado because he had a hit out on his life. Um, and I understand why. So he, for his own protection, he had to be moved to a completely another prison. And he's actually spending his time with pedophiles and rapists in um, prison in an isolated section. Because if he's ever sent into general population, he's going to get the shit kicked out of him and he's going to get killed. So he has to be in protective custody. I wouldn't put him in there at all. So what's, what's actually revealed to this author that he had been thinking about killing his wife Shanann for weeks, partly due to an affair he was having with a co-worker, and he also admitted to secretly giving her oxycodone in an attempt to end her pregnancy. So when I said to you that he didn't look very excited about you know Shanann being pregnant, there there it is. You know he wanted to end the pregnancy to make sure he didn't have another kid, so he he administers oxycodone to his pregnant wife to try and get her to abort. I mean, holy crap. She later published a book, The Murders of Chris Watts in 2020, where she included Watts' letters detailing his failed initial attempts to kill his daughters. He tried to smother his daughters before murdering his wife, describing how his spouse's eyes filled with blood and her face got all black with streaks of mascara. In a letter to Cattle, he wrote August the 13th, Morning of, I went to the girl's room first before Shanann, and I had an argument. I went to Bella's room, then to Cece's room, and used a pillow from their bed to kill them. That's why the cause of death was smothering. After I left Cece's room, I climbed back in bed with Shanann, and our argument ensued. Watt's horrific attempt to kill his daughters had failed the two, the other two, the two girls, Bella, who was age four and Celeste, age three, had woken up. He continued, after Shanann had passed, Bella and Cece woke back up. I'm not sure how they woke back up, but they did. Bella's eyes were bruised and both girls looked like they looked like they'd been through trauma. Well, you know, you you tried to smother them to begin with, you fuck, and now you've done that. He buried Shanann obviously in a shallow grave and put the oils of, of the, the children's body into the oil tanks. Um I find it interesting that when Cattle went back to visit him in 2021, she spoke to Inside Edition about the shocking details she learned about the case, explaining how Watts' eyes would turn black when he spoke about the killings. At times when he would talk about the murders, his eyes would turn so black, he just would get a different look on his face. And he talked about it so nonchalantly, like going down to get a cup, a cup of coffee, Cattle said. Uh, he talked about the, the no so nonchalantly like going down to get a cup of coffee. I mean, that is your children that you are talking about, and you are basically making it just seem like oh, it's nothing. I smothered them. I killed them. No big deal. You know, after doing this podcast, I will honestly say that real life is more terrifying than any horror movie that we will ever watch as a horror community. I did this podcast today in just a closure of not only what I feel 
about this, but just I'm just I just find it horrific. And this is a podcast that I wanted to do not to acknowledge Chris Watts because I think he is the lowest form of pond scum in the entire world, but just basically to give Shannon, Cece, Bella, and Nico a voice and to say that. Even though that I am on the other side of the world, I love and adore all of you. And I think that what happened to Shannon, Nico, Cece and Bella is one of the most deplorable, disgusting things that would ever happen. So, you know, I certainly say that I hope that wherever they are in heaven, that they are living their best life in heaven now because what happened to them should never have happened. And I really hope that every single day of Chris Watts' life, he has that memory and they haunt him for the rest of his life and he never gets an ounce of peace. I wanted to do this podcast just to honour Shannon, Cece, Bella and Nico and just to say that you are still thought of and you're still loved worldwide. But as I said, this is worse than any horror movie you could ever come up with and any horror movie that I will ever do you know, in, in the future. So thank you very much once again for coming to visit me, the Horror Crypt Podcast. I'm sorry it was not a horror movie today. It was a true life horror movie. And I am just grateful that I got a chance to do this podcast. And I'm grateful that you come back every every week to listen to the podcast. There are movies coming up. I've got a lot of movies coming up, including going into the 80s, which I absolutely love, the 80s horror movies. And we've got some great movies that we're going to review there. But um, I just really appreciate you sticking with me throughout this um, episode. And uh, I look forward to having you guys come back next week for an awesome movie. It is called Totally Killer. It is a great movie. I thoroughly recommend you guys to go and watch it. So if you get a chance before the move, before I uh, review it next week, please go and watch it. It's currently on uh, Amazon Prime. You will not be disappointed in the movie. I think it is outstanding. A great movie, great fun. So, you know, I really, I really loved that movie. So I've got some great movies coming up. So in the meantime, I will say, like I say every single week, I will creep you later. A cup of whipped hot chocolate tastes great right now. Carnation's Cocoa Supreme, the delicious hot chocolate drink with the light, delicate flavor you like. Wouldn't a good hot cup taste good right now? Ask for a cup of whipped hot chocolate at our snack bar.